Great to have you back here on a Monday afternoon. Ah, he's Adrian Broaddus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Hope you all had a great Easter holiday, Passover, whatever you are celebrating over the last three days. Welcome back to the program. Good to hear you. Good to have you. We missed you. We were off on Friday because of the uh, holiday, but we, we still missed you. So anyway... Um, looking forward to the next three hours today. It's a three-hour Monday edition of Sports Talk because it's travel day for the Chihuahuas. So, barring a Game 5 or Game 7 now, probably Game 7 uh, NBA playoff series, I mean, most of the times we'll probably take you up till 7 o'clock. Most of the times the NBA playoffs are early on Mondays. They have those 5 o'clock Eastern Conference games and we don't want to deprive you of two hours of the show unless we absolutely have to. So for the most part, we'll keep you here on a Monday. And by the way, Kamani uh, Young is going to join us here in about 15 minutes or so. Excited about having Kamani back on the program. Former minor and um, now one of the best uh, associate head coaches in college basketball, Adrian. Yeah, this is going to be great to catch up with a minor legend, simply put, uh, who has really cut his teeth in the coaching ranks right now, has uh, helped UConn build a great contender in the Big East time and time again, and he uh, he ended up recruiting and grabbing somebody from the 915 and Tristan Newton, who graduated from Burgess, started at East Carolina, and will now be transferring over to UConn. You're right about that. Um, and, you know, good for Tristan, good for Kamani, and... It just goes to show you that, you know, now Kamani's kind of the exception because I can't think of very many former minors that have gone on to become a prominent assisting coach in Division I college basketball. Former minors. I mean, you got to think about this. Um, for a couple of years, it was... Um, Omar Thomas working at Southern Miss for Doc, but I don't know if he ever had a full-time assistant role. I think it was more behind the scenes. Don't know if he was able, ever able to recruit. Um, and then you got to go back and um, look at names like Greg Foster. Um, I think Tim Crenshaw is on that list, uh, but it's a short list. There are not, and, and by the way, those are guys that were were college co- assistants at UTEP. I don't. I mean, I don't recall many, if any, other than Omar in the last twenty, thirty years, that's gone on to be an assistant coach uh, in a school outside of UTEP, especially uh, back east like UConn. Yeah, I, I don't re- recall any of this. We've now even seen a nice trend, Steve, of former UTEP players entering the uh, high school coaching ranks, which has been a really cool thing to see. Like we've seen Omar Thomas be an assistant coach out at Pebble Hill. Same with Tevin Caldwell, who recently graduated from UTEP. Uh, Connor Tucker is now uh, leading the program over there at Montwood. That's a great name to mention right now. The great late uh, F- uh, Jim Forbes, who starred for uh, the UTEP Miners as well. And you can look at UTEP. Gene Costello. So at the high school level, there has been former UTEP players who've had success and who've coached for a long time, but we haven't seen it that much in college. Like like the Greg Foster example is great because he did it in the pros, right. but not even in, in college have you seen former minors really uh, you know, cut their teeth and then have success as assistant coaches. That's why it's so rare to see what Kamani's doing. 
and and, and understand, uh, you know, really for him, it all started years after UTEP. So uh, Kamani Young is one of the great stories uh, at this university because of a player, and uh, he had very hard times and then found his way back and uh, was able to make the most of his second chance. And for that, give him a lot of credit because some people, when they're down and out, they're not able to get back, and he was able to do it. Oh, yes. And uh, for Kamani uh, Jones-Young, he's somebody who also made our list for best basketball players of all time in UTEP history. He even made that bracket. So uh, a lot of fans were excited when he made that list right there. Uh, I'd be curious to look in other sports, Steve, to see you know former minor football players having success at the college football level in coaching. Like Mac Lefwich is the one name that comes off you know in my well, head for that incarnate word offensive coordinator. But uh, I mean, To me, it's Robert Rodriguez right out of the gate. Robert perfect. Rodriguez at ASU is the he really that's where you set the bar as far as former minor players going to d1 colleges as assistant coaches yep that's a that's a great name right there uh now you know what he's done over there at arizona state has been exceptional there's been some great you know former minors who've now uh done the coaching and some who've even done private coaching as well jordan right. palmer logan tooley tillman who's joined us before at the offensive uh, line position so yeah other sports would be kind of interesting to look at that too 100 percent, 100 percent agree you get a chance to watch some NBA playoffs this weekend, especially oh, yeah. that crazy buzzer beater with the Celtics yesterday knocking off the Nets at the last minute, yeah. last second. Uh, NBA playoffs has been pretty much all I did all weekend long. Uh, I watched every almost every game, and um, yeah, that buzzer beater by Jason Tatum. First off, the the presence of mind of Marcus Smart not taking that shot right. and then dishing it down low to Jason Tatum. What they did on that defensive possession earlier in that previous uh, you know possession with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant was exceptional. Yeah, playoff basketball was great over the weekend. I enjoyed a lot of it. And then Kyrie flips off the fans in Boston. It's the perfect situation, right? You feel like you're in a wrestling match. Yeah, I love this rivalry right here between Kyrie Irving and the Boston Celtics fans. And people want to say, oh, it's because he was stomping on Lucky. No, that's not because of that. It's because he said he was going to re-sign with Boston yeah. and then ended up leaving in free agency. That's exactly right. And then meanwhile, um, why does it seem like in the, with the Phoenix Suns, uh, fourth quarter is Chris Paul time. It just seems like if it doesn't matter what he does the first three quarters. Chris Paul knows that when the game's on the line in the fourth quarter, that's when he needs to step up. Yeah, it was. It seemed like they just had it on cruise control because they were killing New Orleans in the first half of that game yesterday, and New Orleans made a really nice effort in the third quarter to come back in that game. I was disappointed the Suns didn't really end it in the third quarter right there, but it really just takes uh, Chris Paul just being the floor general, yep. being the guy who needs to just get everybody in the right place to uh, – and it kind of reminds me of LeBron in a way, Steve, because he has high basketball IQ, and it seems like – like Chris Paul will dictate everything on the floor whenever he's on there in a late game situation. No, you're right. And uh, 37 years old drops 30 and 10 at 37. That's I mean, listen, we already know he's going to be in the hall. That's a guarantee. And performances like this just continue to build the legend up, right? That's just what it's all about. Yeah, I mean, Chris Paul needs the ring. That's the one thing that everybody knocks him on for his body of work and what he's done in his career. He's not been able to be durable in playoff stretches, so he needs to maintain his health this stretch with Phoenix, and he, he needs to win a ring. That's the biggest thing that a lot of uh, critics and NBA people hold him accountable for, not having that ring under his belt. You look at the other games, uh, Milwaukee beats the Bulls yesterday by 13. Um, and then the Heat, they just uh, clobbered uh, Atlanta and beat them by, uh, what, 24 points. I mean, again, that's what's supposed to happen. That's what did happen. 
Um, I was a little surprised by Utah beating the Mavericks on Saturday by six. Didn't see that one coming. I also didn't see the T-Wolves hanging 130 on the Grizz in the first game of that series. Yeah, that game was my favorite of all, all the games this weekend, including that buzzer-beater win for Boston because the Timberwolves, no one really thought they would. Some people picked the Grizzlies to win in a sweep in, in you know uh, this series against the Timberwolves, but Minnesota played their way into the playoffs. They won that game against the Clippers, and it's really Anthony Edwards, 36 points that he had against the Grizzlies. They had zero answer to him, and that's a former number one pick who's holding up to his standards right there, playing exceptionally well against uh, alongside, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns, and now you have to really look at the Timberwolves yes. as a serious uh, threat against the Grizzlies. A hundred percent. But by the way, uh, Morant came back. I mean, John Morant played in that game and scored 32, but he scored 32 in a losing cause for Memphis. Yeah, and it's interesting because the games where John Morant was out with that injury, Memphis still won. So it's kind of weird. Now you have to throw him back in the in the fire. You have to balance out the older, you know, the other guys on that team like Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson Jr. and also allow John Morant to get you a bucket when you need oh. it. And so let's but, see what happens in the stretch. But you wonder if Memphis is going to have a hard time getting the flow back since they did so well without him and then he comes back in and it, it I don't want to say it disrupts things but they got to adjust that's why it, maybe it's good you have a seven game series not a five game series yeah and that's why they're going to need this one to go to seven I 100%. mean they really this is going to be a grinding series for the Grizzlies are going to need to steal one in Minnesota in game three or four to try to maintain uh, some momentum in this series they're going to need to win game two game two is a must win for Memphis tomorrow I didn't see the Sixers beating the Raptors by 20 they did they play again in a, in a little more than an hour. That's going to be a busy game, too. Uh, and the Warriors, uh, they handled the Nuggets with ease. In fact, blew them out in the second quarter and then the third quarter, and that was all she wrote. Here's my question to you, okay? We expect the Warriors to win this series. We don't know how many games it's going to go, but if they do, you know, Nikola Jokic is the MVP of the league, but what good is it if you exit in the first round? I'm with you. That's I feel like there should be like an MV, a playoff MVP as well, and that award should be given out every year. And I, I know we're in the uh, a lot of people knock. Well, you're giving trophies to everyone, which I understand, right? Like that that's the case. But there needs to be a playoff MVP out there because we've known that there are two really two seasons in the NBA. the The postseason is long, and uh, people forget about that regular season MVP like Jokic uh, when when it goes deeper into the playoffs. I don't see the Nuggets coming back in this series. It was a disastrous game for them same with the Raptors and yeah I know a lot of people who sided with Joel Embiid they're going to be the first to say well Jokic was a first round exit with Denver yep. just yep. look at his supporting cast he has no one around him 100% right so we'll talk basketball on the show today I'm looking forward to that speaking of hoops how about UTEP getting a um, commitment from Mario McKinney Jr., the former Aggie. You think about this, the last time this happened, Evan Gilliard joined Chris Jans about three years ago uh, after the first season of Rodney Terry, and now uh, a former four-star prospect who really never had the opportunity in that backcourt to get the kind of uh, minutes that he probably wanted will now have a much better opportunity here with uh, Joe Golding and UTEP. Yeah, I was looking a, a little bit today on Mario McKinney, just his history, and I, I was surprised when I realized he was the number one player out of the class of 2019 in the entire state of Missouri. Like, he was the guy in the state of Missouri at, out of that class, and he joins Missouri uh, in the SEC for his first year, never could get off the bench, goes to JUCO 
route, averages 18 points a game. That's when Chris Jans finds him, brings him to New Mexico State. But how are you going to get off the bench when Allen is out there on the floor, when Jabari Rice is on the floor? That's a crowded Clayton backcourt. Henry. Right? Yeah, Clayton Henry. That's a crowded backcourt right there for New Mexico State. And maybe here at UTEP, Mario McKinney can earn those opportunities to come off the bench and uh, start in more minutes for the minors. Kind of like that Christian Agnew, uh, Agnew role. I also wonder if he can earn a starting spot because the backcourt could be thin. Um, from what we hear, Keontae Kenny is going to decide this week whether he stays or goes. So if he stays, well, there's one starting spot in the backcourt. But if he goes, you're going to have a, pretty much a whole new look in the backcourt unless you go and give Jamari Sibley one of the guard spots. Yeah, that's so key because you have to have uh, maybe at least two starters come back for next year the way it's shaping out right now, Steve, because the best prospects out there are getting snatched up left and right. I'm looking at this UTEP basketball team, and as it stands right now, you have three uh, starters from last year's roster who aren't coming back. That's uh, Titus Verhoeven, that's Sule Boom, and Jamal Bienemy. Those are for sure not coming back next year. You don't want to make that number go to four with Keontae Kennedy hitting the portal, possibly. You want to keep him if you're UTEP. You want to have at least two starters to build on, and then you fill out your roster from the remaining scholarships that you have. So much to cover on the show today. I'm happy we have three hours. I'm really happy we've got a special guest coming up next. That's right. Uh, former UTEP minor, current associate uh, head coach at the University of Connecticut, Kamani Young, will join us. Stay with us. Sports Talk gets going right after Charlie One, who has this traffic update. Back here on Sports Talk 20 Past. Looking forward to having Kamani Young uh, join us via Zoom here momentarily. And as soon as uh, he is on board, we'll let you know. In the meantime, since we were talking uh, recruiting before the commercial break, it's really interesting when we uh, start thinking about uh, UTEP basketball. And you wrote about this on the website right now, Adrian. When you start to look at scholarships and for next season, who could be on scholarship and, and where they're at, it seems like right now we are currently in a spot where they probably have five or six uh, openings left, depending on what happens with um, with Keontae Kennedy. Yeah, and that's not a lot. That really isn't a lot of scholarships to work with right there because if you're talking about five or six, you still have three starting spots that you need to fill. And I, I still look at this roster the way it's, it looks right now, the list of commitments that have come in and the people that we know are staying and who aren't. Uh, there are a lot of needs for this men's basketball team. They need size down low. They need three-point shooting. They, they need to bolster their guards and replace two all-conference caliber players. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that this team still needs. I wonder, just looking at the current group of players coming in, where it stands right now, either um, seven or eight on the roster, depending on what happens with uh, number three, who we know is a starter. I mean, you know Keontae is a guaranteed starter. That, that's, that's a given, okay? But you think about who else is on the roster right now trying to project starters for this upcoming season, you almost feel like they still have to recruit a lot of their starting lineup. Um, Jamari Sibley, I could, uh, I could see, I could see Jabari getting the opportunity. I could, but after him, and that's the other interesting question right now, Adrian, is who else do you give it to? Um, who else earns the opportunity to to start on this team, or do you have to wait it out to see uh, who else you bring in before it's all said and done? 
Yeah, that's a really good question, and, and I think that's something that the coaching staff has to deal with right now when it comes to roster construction for next year. Now, the guys we know who are coming back, Zarek Onyema, Kevin Kalu, and Jamari Sibley. Those right. are the threes that you could say. We don't know about Keontae Kennedy, although we'll find out this week. And then of the guys who have signed and committed and or committed, you're talking about Jonathan Dosanjos and Derek Hamilton, both coming out of junior college, Jamal Sumlin, who's coming out of high school, and then Mario McKinney Jr who's the New Mexico State graduate, uh, excuse me, not graduate, but the transfer. Is it too much to throw McKinney into the mix as a potential starter, especially after averaging four points a game last year for New Mexico State? Yeah, I think that's a little bit of a stretch right there if you wanted to do that right now. I think you could pencil him in if you wanted to just based on experience, but uh, that that might have to be erased right away if the Miners bolster their backcourt with some proven scores. I don't think you can do that right now with Mario McKinney Jr. No. and name him a starter right now. But you know that he's definitely somebody that could take over the Christian Agnew role. I, I feel like that's almost a given. Yes, and they needed somebody like that. They need a feisty guard who could be a backup, uh, who can come off the bench and really help them out. Now, Mario McKinney doesn't want to hear that. He wants to hear that he can have the opportunity to be in the starting lineup and play significant minutes for the Miners. Well, maybe he can. I mean, the truth is, until you see what he can bring to this group and this coaching staff and see what he can do, we don't know. I'm sure that if you're Joe Golding, you're selling everybody on the potential of starting. He started three-quarters of the team last year anyway in every combination humanly possible. So you obviously that's one of the things you gotta you gotta you gotta sell them on is hey, we don't have a guaranteed starting lineup here. You come here, compete and work hard, and you can absolutely put yourself into the starting lineup. Yeah, a lot of people would even look at last year's roster and think, yeah, Alfred Hollins was a starter. Well, no, he wasn't. He came off the bench almost every game, and he was that, uh, you know, pr- he's a prime example of how a UTEP player can come off the bench but really carve a nice role for themselves. And uh, any anybody who's joining this team could really look and, and uh, see what these guys have had as t- in terms of success. Jarrell Satterfield la- laid out the groundwork for a junior college player playing immediately. You had, uh, of course, Alfred Hollins, like I I just mentioned a graduate transfer right there. So Joe Golding has shown that no matter if it's a walk-on player or a scholarship player, if it's a five-star guy, of a, Div- a Division One guy, whatever it is, he will give everybody opportunities to play if they earn it. 100% agree. 100% agree with you on that one. All right, 25 past the hour right now as we continue here on Sports Talk. Excited about our next guest, who's going to join us via Zoom. Now, for some of us older folks, it wasn't that long ago that we remember him uh, wearing the orange and blue and white and playing for the Bear at Utah. But since then, he's gone on to uh, become a Division I assistant coach, associate head coach now at UConn, and uh, one of the top uh, you know assistants in all of college basketball. We started thinking as we brought, bringing uh, Kamani Young onto the program, first off, Kamani, welcome aboard. Good to have you. How you doing? Kamani, can you hear us okay? I think uh, he might be having some audio issues, and if that's the case, we'll try to uh, rectify those here uh, in a little bit. So, all right, uh, there he goes. Now I think I might hear him. Kamani, can you hear us okay now? All right, I can hear him, but we'll work on getting this done. Let's take Sports Center right now at 26 past. We'll come back with more in a moment with Kamani Young right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Some Zoom issues today, some technical uh, issues with our Zoom conversation. So we always go to the backup, like we've done up and before COVID. We didn't even know Zoom existed for interviews before COVID. So it was always phone interviews. That's the way we've done it for 
30-something years here on Sports Talk. So let's get back to the phones like we belong. And we'll get uh, Kamani Young with us right now uh, from uh, the University of Connecticut, where the associate head coach is uh, currently at. And, uh, hey, listen, we apologize for not being able to connect via Zoom, but happy we're able to get you on the phone nonetheless. No, nah, no problem, no problem at all. Excited to be on. Thank you for having me. You looked good, uh, even though you couldn't hear a word I said before we uh, got <laughs> out of the break. So that's the nice thing. You you haven't aged much uh, over the last uh, 25 years, so that's something that uh, you got to be pretty excited about, right? Yes, thank you very much. I take a, I take an enormous amount of pride in my personal habits, so... That feels that feels good to hear that from you. Thank you. You bet. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> I, I know our listeners haven't connected with you in forever. Um, it's really hard to believe that it's been 24 years since you graduated at UTEP. That, to me, is what's even more mind-blowing when you start to think about it because a lot's happened since then, and uh, you have been skyrocketing up the uh, college basketball ranks really over the last 15 years. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, when I look back on my time there, it seems like yesterday. And, you know, it's a place that's very dear in my heart. You know, I had tremendous four years there. Um, you know, awesome playing experience, life experience. Um, you know, I feel like I owe a lot of my success that I'm having now to that place. So uh, whenever I get back to, you know, whenever I get a chance to connect back with, you know, that's the university, people in El Paso, family and friends that are still there, I'm always excited. Kamani uh, Young with us uh, here on Sports Talk as we continue. How did UTEP find you? How did they? How did they uh, grab you know find you in Queens and and bring you into El Paso? Yeah, it's funny, man. People ask me that story all the time, and um, a close friend of mine, uh, Phil Crocker, who was who was you know a former a former UTEP player I've known you know for years. His dad um, lived in the city. Phil was originally from Suffolk, Virginia. He would come up and visit. Um, we got tight, and, you know, after my freshman year at Long Island University, you know, I put some feelers out there to people that I knew um, that I wanted to transfer, was looking for a bigger and better opportunity. Um, and they were like, look, hey, why don't you come down? You know, they got some of my film. I came down on a visit, played with the guys. Um, they offered me a scholarship, and the rest was history. That's really incredible when you start to think about it because I didn't even realize that you spent a year at LIU. I thought you went right out of high school to UTEP, so uh, you didn't come until your sophomore year. I came there as a sophomore. I sat out um, I sat out my sophomore years and played three years there um, You know, as a redshirt sophomore through my senior year. Wow, pretty remarkable, especially considering you still topped the 1,000-point mark in only three seasons doing it. Yeah, I tell people that all the time when they say, hey, come on, you're a 1,000-point scorer. I said, yeah, don't forget about the loose change I left at LIU, but that's fine. A lot of these players, when they transfer now, they, they want to bring their points with them. So, um, you know, I probably had a little bit more on my on my total for career, but I'm fine with the 1,000 I had at El Paso. Uh, Kamani Young with us here on Sports Talk. Now, you just mentioned something that I know is uh, suddenly becoming a problem, not just for uh, minor fans, but a problem for all of college sports, and that's the uh, the portal. I mean, if I would have told you uh, 25 years ago that you could pretty much come and go as you please into this thing called the transfer portal and become immediately eligible someplace, uh, what would you have told me? Yeah, I would have laughed at you. I would have laughed at you. I don't, I don't think any of us – um, saw this coming, and, and listen, I'm I'm in college. This is, um, you know, I'm part of this business now, and you know we have to adapt as college coaches. I think there's some pros and cons to it, 
but you know we we it's it's part of it's part of our business we got to adapt and, and we got to try to navigate our way through it and at the same time still build our programs Absolutely right. And um, I know for you, uh, being a, a salesman is part of the business now. You're selling the UConn program, the history, and, and what uh, playing in the Big East can do for you. Plus, getting a chance to uh, to work under uh, Danny Hurley. Uh, I had a chance to, to watch the postgame when you took over the team after Hurley was tossed, and you ended up winning that game. I saw the post press conference for the two of you guys together. Uh, he just seems like an unbelievable guy to work for. He's been great. He's been great. You know, I had an um, awesome introduction to college basketball with Richard Pitino. He gave me an awesome opportunity down at FIU. I went with him to Minnesota where, um, you know, I spent another five years with him. And for the last four years, you know, the, op- the, you know, the opportunity to work with Danny shoulder to shoulder, side by side every day has really, um, you know, helped me springboard in my career personally, professionally, and, you know, just overall as a coach. So, um, it's been great to work with him. I enjoy working with him. He brings a ton of energy and passion, and, um, you know, we, we still have more to do here. When did you know that you wanted to get into coaching? Yeah. I'll tell you what, man, you know, I owe a lot of that to Coach Haskins. You know, I think my my uh, my passion for coaching, my passion for the game really grew um, over my four years there. And as I was finishing up, you know, as a player, we all had dreams and, and aspirations to play professionally, as I did. Um, but he just said, hey, Kamani, when the time is right, you should really take a look at getting into coaching. Um, you know, he actually offered me a, a graduate assistant, you know, position right out of college. I wasn't ready for that. Um, you know, but once I got my feet settled and, and, you know, figured out what I wanted to do in my career, college coaching was, was the best path for me. Well, we started thinking about this before we brought you on, and I don't really recall anybody in the last 30, 40 years that played at UTEP and went on to become um, you know, a, a pretty prominent assistant coach uh, outside of the minors, especially back east like yourself. I feel like you're pretty much in uncharted waters when it comes to that. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. I mean, once, once um, you know, I got back to New York, um, you know, and, and started my professional career. I got into grassroots coaching. Um, you know, I ran a program called New Heights. Um, I was a high school coach and assistant coach at Rice High School, which is a pretty prominent, you know, New York City Catholic school here in the city. Um, you know, and, and I just started kind of just got on that, that, that you know, that track. And, and um, the natural progression for me was to get into college. You know, I, I you know got an opportunity at FIU with Richard, as I described earlier, and, 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 you know, it's just been a 10-year ride, and here I am. Had you known uh, Rick Pitino prior to getting a chance to work for Richard? How would you end up uh, getting uh, into that situation? Yeah, I'm pretty, I, I did a pretty good job of building my name, name for myself in the grassroots circles. So through recruiting, I mean, anybody that was recruiting New York City, um, you know, in the early 2000s pretty much knew who I was, and, and whether it was through recruiting or through – you know, professional introductions, people started knowing who I am. Um, you know, I worked a, a team camp down in, in at Florida at the time where Richard Patino was an assistant under Billy Donovan. Um, you know, I got to know Rick Patino through passing and through recruiting circles. Another buddy of mine, Rob Lanier, was very influential in, in building, you know, that, that, that bridge and that opportunity with that family, as was Mick Cronin, um, who I got to know through recruiting. So, 
Um, th- those relationships overlapped, and, and Richie was looking for a young and hungry coach that wanted to get into college that had, you know, a lot of relationships and connections in New York City. And, um, you know, again, here I am. Come on, Young with us here on Sports Talk as we continue. Was it a difficult transition for you at first or because of all your connections as a former Division One college athlete? Did it go uh, pretty smooth from the beginning out there at FIU? Yeah, I think it, I, I think it did. There was a lot to learn. Um, you know, I think the fact that I played in college um, gave me a little bit of a runway. The fact that I had been helping, you know, young people probably for the last six or seven years up to that point, um, you know, make their college decisions and go through the recruiting process with them. I think that helped. Um, I spent a year under Norm Roberts and, you know, at St. John's on his um, on his staff as a video coordinator and a um, you know, in an administrative role. So I think all of those experiences kind of, you know, really pretty much prepared me um, to be a full-time assistant and really get on that track in college coaching. Um, but I think all of it, you know, um, collectively, you know, lent to the success that I'm having. And UConn's got to be a dream job for you because you're still very close to the city, so you can get a lot of those same contacts and connections over there to, to Connecticut. It's got a storied history and program with Calhoun and what he was able to do. You're playing in the Big East. It seems like uh, for you it's it's almost like it's the ultimate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was a tremendous opportunity. You know, when Coach Hurley reached out to me at the time, I had just finished my sixth season with Richard, my fifth season at, at Minnesota, and I never had any plans to leave that place, you know, or, or you know, I was really loyal to Richard. Um, I still am, you know, we're still very close. Um, but getting an opportunity like like coaching at UConn was, was one that I couldn't turn down. Um, just being so close to the city, being back on the East Coast, obviously what you just described with the history, the tradition, the national championships, the lottery picks, um, it's an attractive place to work at and come play at. Absolutely right. Uh, questions coming in for you on Twitter. This is from YYS. He's got a couple for you there, Kamani. First one, what is your fondest memory of Don Haskins during his time at UTEP? Oh, man, I could, we, we could be here all night, man. He was, um, he was great. You know, he was great to play for. Um, you know, he was a tremendous leader of men. Um, you know, sometimes I think back and, and you know, I was, I'm really just grateful um, you know, for the experience that I had playing for him and obviously what he did for young um, African-American players, you know, what he did in 1966, not only created playing opportunities for people like myself, but also coaching opportunities for people like myself. So um, I owe him a ton. Um, you know, listen, he, he was he was he was funny. You know, he would always, um, you know, make fun of me and, and he would call me a city slicker. He he just had he had a way to connect him with his with his players, um, you know. But but it was great playing for him. Um, you know, I wish I wish he was still around. Second question: um, Any qualities that you've seen in Coach Joe Golding that remind you a little bit of the Bear? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've had a chance to meet meet with Coach Golding. Um, you know, we talk from time to time. Um, I'm a huge fan. He's a de- defensive-minded coach. Um, he's young and hungry and energetic. Um, I've talked to people that have gotten a chance to connect with him and with Coach Hurley, and they've described him as being very similar with his approach every day and the kind of energy he brings. Um, really excited about the future of that program. Um, and we all know that, that defense wins championships. So 
if that's the you know if that's the the, the foundation that he's building that program on, um, you know I'll bet I'll bet my money that that place would be be up and running and flying high real soon. Pinky in Santa Teresa messages into the show. Congratulations, Kamani, on your coaching career. Has Kamani ever referred any recruit to UTEP over the years? Well, when I was there, I, I did. Um, you know, Sharif Fajardo. Um, you know, I mean, the list goes on. Uh, you know, I, I've always felt that that place was um, was home to me. If there's ever a time I can um, help in recruiting or push kids their way or um, help in any way as an ambassador of the program, I always will. But, um, yeah. you know, I got a job to do here at UConn, and, and you know, that, that takes priority. How's Sharif doing these days? You guys keep in touch? I do. I do. He's doing great. He's actually a, a, a trainer. In New York City, if people look him up on 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 Instagram and on social media, that dude is a physical specimen, and he does some pretty impressive stuff with helping people build their bodies. So um, you'll be surprised; he's in great shape. You know, I look back on your three years at UTEP, and you arrived and were part of a 20-win season that first year where Antoine Gillespie, George Banks were in their senior years. They had Carl Davis, Mark Ingalls, Kevin Beal. Uh, you mentioned Crocker earlier. He was also a senior. Uh, and then a fresh uh, sophomore like JoJo Garcia, who came in with yourself. And, you know, those next two years, maybe not as many wins as you had that first year, but as JoJo uh, really became more prominent, B.J. Wade, you mentioned Sharif, Jeff Spiller, Will Smith was there that last year, Rico Nelson, John Bamba, some good names at UTEP uh, during those three seasons for you. Yeah, I tell people all the time, man, I think, you know, people really underestimated um, how tough our league was those last two years. Um, when you look at the, the teams that, that were at the top of that league, you're talking about New Mexico and BYU and Fresno State. And, um, you know, I mean, Utah went to the national championship game. You know what I mean? Like, that that's how good they were. New Mexico had, you know, multiple NBA players in, in their program. Um, so, you know, I, I just said our league was, was very tough. Um, you know, and I had a tremendous experience there. I wish I would have won more. Um, but, you know, that, that, that place set me up for successful life. So um, I'll live with it. Kimbani, it's Adrian back here. Just had a question in regards to your philosophy since you've been around this sport for so long. What makes a good recruiter, just simply put? Yeah, I just think, you know, having honest relationships and, and genuine relationships with people. Um, I think when I when I get in front of kids and families and speak about my playing experience and now my coaching experience um, in college for the last 10 years, I, people can, I think people can connect with it and resonate with it. I think people believe in me. Um, you know, I'm honest with people. I always tell them what I think it is and what, what you know, their career opportunity looks like, you know, at a place like UConn. Um, and, you know, for the most part, it's just relationships that I've cultivated over the last 20 years in basketball, whether it's been grassroots or in college. And, um, again, you know, recruiting at a place like UConn makes it easy. Are the days of trying to recruit to build a program over, you know, a few years over now? Do you have to pretty much try to set out and put together the best team every year you can get because of what the portals turned into? Yeah, I hope not. You know, I hope not, Steve. You know, for a long time, you know, we really prided ourselves on, um, you know, bringing talented young players into our program, helping them grow and develop, 
um, and learn and have that, that continuity and that culture. Um, this is the first year where we're really feeling a hit, you know, in the transfer portal where we lost, you know, we're losing four guys. Um, but I also get it. You know, I think that, um, you know, it's not, it, the times are different now. You know, kids want to play right away. Um, you know, and, and I, you know, when, once, when, when we're honest with them, um, you're not all, not all of them can handle it. So, um, you know, we just got to keep, keep trying to build a program the right way. Um, we have some talented young players in our program returning. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we talked about Tristan Newton and, and what he'll bring, you know, to the table as a, as an upperclassman. Uh, we probably got to add a couple more pieces through the transfer portal, and we'll just go from there. I want to wrap it up with Tristan because uh, when we heard that he was going to UConn, it kind of put a smile on my face because I know you were involved with that. And as much as minor fans were hoping that he would reunite here in El Paso and and come home, it makes a lot of sense knowing the kind of interest he was attracting after he went into the portal that he would go high major and end up going uh, back east with you to UConn. Yeah, listen, I'll tell you what. I remember us playing, you know, at East Carolina uh, three years ago. I want to say his freshman year. Um, And, you know, you look through the roster and, you you know, you kind of, you know, I didn't have the scout. Another one of our assistants at the time had the scout, but he's talking guys up and, hey, this freshman guard, you know, scores at all three levels. We got to do a great job on him. So I'm just kind of looking at his bio and I'm like, wait a minute, this kid is from El Paso, Texas. Um, You know, not not a. not many times at this level do you see, you know, players across the country that are from El Paso. So once I saw him, I kind of connected with him, and then he played great against us, had 25 points against us. I grabbed him in the shake hands line and said, hey, good game, young fella. You know, I went to school at UTEP. You know, I'll be following you. It's, it's proud to, you know, see you doing well. And that was it. Um, you know, we moved on to the Big East the last two years. Um, but I've always kind of kept an eye on him and, you know, I had a couple guys tell me, "Hey, this guy may be going into the transfer portal," and once he did, um, you know, I was I was I was on it. So um, excited to have him. He's a great kid, great family. Um, it's great to reconnect with some people from El Paso, um, you know. So uh, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to coach him. Oh, that's a great story, Kamani. Absolutely love that. That's a great way for us to end this conversation, too. I'll tell you, you got a lot of El Pasoans excited about uh, not just the minors, but about your career and future out there with UConn and college hoops. And uh, who knows? Maybe we'll eventually get a chance to have you cross paths with us here at UTEP down the road. I know a lot of minor fans would love that. So would I. So would I. Keep keep in touch with Coach Golden. I wish them the best. He's doing a great job. Um, and hopefully I can get I can get down to El Paso sometime soon. Look forward to it, Kamani. Thanks again for the time. Appreciate you joining us on the show today. No problem, Steve. Hour number two is next right here on 600 TSPN El Paso. Before we go to break, though, I want to tell you a little story about uh, our friend Nada. Nada was moving to another city here in the state of Texas, so she needed to sell her home in northeast El Paso. Now, she contacted Brian Birds and his team, uh, powered by EXP Realty. Now, let me tell you what happened. Okay, within a week of signing with Brian and his team, an offer was received. The home was under contract for five thousand dollars over the list price. Nada was very happy with uh, the fact that her home sold so quickly and for top dollar, and that the whole process was smooth. That's what it's all about: being happy. And remember. Some of you might be a little worried about leaving money on the table if you sell your home. Well, don't worry with Brian and the team, powered by EXP Realty, for a lot of reasons. But I love the guarantee. 
Brian guarantees to sell your home for a price and deadline you both agree to, or he'll buy it himself, which gives you the chance to make an offer on another home without fear of ending up with two mortgages because you know when and for how much your current home will sell. So call the official real estate agent of UTEP and El Paso Locomotive FC and the Rhinos, the only agent I would call if I needed to sell my home, Brian Birds. Underway, my thanks again to Kamani Young for joining us on the program. So much fun talking, Kamani. Man, I'm excited. How many of you saw the new uh, teaser for Thor Love and Thunder? Pretty impressive stuff. Especially since they now have Lady Thor. That's right, Adrian. Lady Thor. That's a big deal, man. Yeah, big this, deal. This is a big deal. This is a big uh, year for uh, movies and action hero movies as well, Steve. I, I felt yep. like you know everybody was in the production studios last year filming everything, and this year they're releasing everything. Natalie Portman will be uh, Jane Foster as Lady Thor. She's all jacked. She's got the hammer, which was destroyed in Ragnarok. Now she's got it back. Got the helmet on. So maybe that's going to be the deal. Maybe they're going to go. Maybe they're going to. Uh, you know, go from Thor to Lady Thor. There you go. So that's part of the uh, new movie that's uh, going to be coming out in July. A uh, trailer just dropped today. Um, Adrian's movie review will be coming up this hour. For those of you uh, that follow that, I'm excited. Always great we can have Adrian uh, movie reviews. I did not watch any USFL uh, yesterday or over the weekend. Did you catch any of it? Yes, I did. Of How course. How was it? Of course, I had to watch this, Steve. Uh, you know, and, and it's credit to my dad. He's always on top of the alternate football leagues and stuff like that. When I went over for Easter Sunday, I knew I'd be grilled with questions about it. He'd have all the breakdown for me, and it was perfect because first night was was weird. Like it was Birmingham. I was watching some footage of it. It was a weird, weird game. The second game that I saw had Paxton Lynch as a backup quarterback, uh, which I found hilarious. And then Shea Patterson, former starting quarterback for Michigan, he was the starting quarterback for the Michigan team, coached by Jeff Fisher. Oh, that's were, interesting. They were going up against Houston, who is coached by Kevin Sumlin. Uh, and it, it's it's so funny, Steve. I mean, it's just it's football, but it's the quarterback making a ton of mistakes. Paxton Lynch putting the ball on the ground. Same with uh, Shea Patterson. And, uh, you know, there's, there's just turnovers galore all over the place. So it's a little messy. So Paxton Lynch went from backup in the USFL to, to, to playing in this game? Yes. Yeah, they had to because uh, the the other quarterback, Shea Patterson, had all these turnovers that he had under his belt. Oh, so, so. Lynch is backing up Patterson. Yes. Oh, yeah. my God. It's so weird, man. I'll tell you, like, the the action on it on the field is is fun to watch at some times. Uh, they really try to put a lot into the television broadcast. Oh, and by the way, it's Jack Collinsworth and it's Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett, meaning Jason Garrett? Yeah, like the Jason Garrett. He's the lead color analyst on uh, the USFL. Get out of here. Yes. How does he sound on TV? Uh, just like you think. <laughs> so he's gonna. He's like average. He's okay. He's pointing yeah. out different things. Uh, not a lot of personality. I like Jack Collinsworth, though. 
He's, really? he's good. I like him. So Chris Collinsworth's son is doing lead play-by-play for yes. USFL? Yeah, that's exactly right. All right. And he can and he can call a game a little bit? Yeah, and he works for the NBC broadcast booth. And so I watched the NBC coverage. I didn't get a chance to watch the Fox coverage. Okay, so stop right there. Same game on two networks. Uh, no, not not same. Uh, I thought Saturday's game was there was only one game on the schedule on Saturday. Right, was on NBC and on Fox. So the I don't know which channel the game was on Saturday. I didn't catch that one. The one I saw was on NBC Sunday, Easter Sunday, and that was between Houston and Michigan. The, okay, the Saturday game was Birmingham. They started off, and then we were yeah. wondering, well, why is there no one in the stands? I mean, there's there was absolutely zero people. And we were thinking, okay, it's Easter Sunday, sure, but at least some fans will. All the games are being played in Birmingham. I don't know if, uh, like, there are no home games. So, like, Michigan won't have a home game. Houston won't have a home game. The whole season. Is it, it Birmingham, Alabama? Yeah, Birmingham, Alabama. In front of no fans? In front of no fans. I wonder if there were fans in that Birmingham game on Saturday. But for sure, in the Michigan-Houston game, there were not any fans. Really? That was weird. It was weird. That is weird. Yeah. Well, at USFL, let's see how long this sticks around. Did they have the glow ball near the end zone? I did not see it. I did not see the glow ball. They had they scored a couple touchdowns when I was watching, but I did not see that. Okay. I liked the XFL before it went under the first time around. Does this league seem like it has enough star power to survive? I I don't haven't seen enough of it. I I've only saw the first like the first game um, from the highlights I saw. I'll say no, Steve. Just based on what we saw on the field, like the quarterback play is really down. Oh, I'll say this: former La Tech quarterback Jamar Smith. Uh, I, I, some minor fans might remember him. He was a dual threat quarterback. Beat the minors every time that he played them. He was playing again uh, either with Birmingham or against Birmingham, and he had a pretty nice stat uh, stat line when it was all. Done. All right. That sounds that sounds pretty good. By the way, I just tried to search uh, USFL.com and I got some Japanese site. So that's never a good thing. I have to look and see if this league actually oh, it's the USFL.com. There you go. Okay. Not to be confused with USFL.com. Um apparently the so Birmingham beat Jersey 28-24. Houston got by Michigan 17-12. And the New Orleans Breakers. Beat the Philadelphia Stars 23-17. to And right now, on FS1, the Bandits and the Maulers are going at it, Adrian. We got we got Monday Night Football right now. Nice. We got we got to throw this on. This is some must-watch TV, Steve. Uh, I'm yeah, on it. Yeah, USFL. By the way, I'll say this. Jerseys, A+. They did a great job on all the jerseys. I was very impressed with what I saw from both the Michigan Stallions and the Houston Gamblers. Uh, Excuse me, I already got the teams wrong. Michigan Panthers, not Stallions. It's Birmingham Stallions. Uh, And then, like you were saying, New Jersey Generals. Those were the four uniforms I've seen so far. I'm curious to see how the Maulers uniforms look because they've got some weird colors. Like They use orange and they incorporate a little bit of purple. And then when we're talking Talking about the Tampa Bay Bandits, this one kind of looks like Texas Tech. Like they've got the red and they've got the uh, the black. It's on FS1, and it's a completely empty stadium right now in Birmingham. Completely empty. Yeah, I don't get this. Like, are are you trying to sell tickets? Do you do you not have anything lined up? Is that not the focus? Do you just worry about the TV revenue? I, I'm I'm curious as how this is working right now with the USFL. I'm wondering too. Hang on one second. Let me go and see. I don't even know if they're offering tickets. This might well, not the be... first thing that oh, I see. Oh, it does see... say, hang on. You can buy tickets. In fact, 
Yes, you can buy tickets. Um, interesting. The Tampa Bay-Pittsburgh game, they do have tickets available in Birmingham. And according to the Ticketmaster website, uh, oh, the event already started, so ticket sales has stopped, Adrian. So, But if I wanted to buy, let's say, week two tickets, I'll give you an idea. Um, 10 bucks for general admission, $25 for premium general admission. So for what premium general fifty admission yard is line like, oh, forty okay. and fifty. All right, fifty yard line, and the rest you just sit wherever. Just come to the game, bring a can to the game, and and you can get in for the USFL. So they are open. I mean, these are they are selling tickets. Just nobody's there. Like nobody is there. They need to do a better job about it because people will probably go to the Birmingham games because that's the like the home team right there. But they need to come up with incentives to try to get locals to watch the Tampa Bay Bandits go up against the Pittsburgh Maulers. Oh, yeah, absolutely right. And we, we've already heard that every single game is in Birmingham. That's right. That's right. It's at Protective Stadium, which, yes. by the way, that's uh, UAB Stadium. So people nice. wondering, uh, you know, they UAB had switched their stadium. They're they're into this one right here, and I guess they've got to fill a Protective Stadium with different events across the year, right? Good for uh, Birmingham getting the uh, becoming the home of the USFL. Couldn't you pick a better place like El Paso? El Paso would have supported the USFL, maybe. Oh, my God. I guarantee you that if you would have had $10 tickets to see the USFL at the Sun Bowl, you would probably have at least a couple thousand for every game. Yes. And you would have gotten 40 for opening night. Yes, you would have had a ton of people out there. If it's an inexpensive ticket, it's easy to get to in El Paso. I feel like El Paso would have supported the USFL way more than what we're seeing so far from the city of Birmingham. <laughs> Man, oh man. 915-505-6009 is the telephone number to get into the program today. 915-505-6009. If any of you watched the USFL over the weekend and can give us a review on what you had a chance to watch, I mean, to me, the USFL is for fans that have to have their football fixed so badly right now that they want it. Because think about what they're going up against. You're going up against playoff basketball, playoff hockey, and... Major League Baseball. So to watch the USFL, you really, really have to just be a football junkie. Best way to put it. Yeah, yesterday, Easter morning, not a lot to watch. Uh, we had to choose between the Cardinals and Brewers, which I thought was a pretty good game. Uh, I thought the RBC Heritage uh, golf event over the weekend, in which Jordan Spieth ended up running away with, was very entertaining all the way up until the last moment. But in between the commercial breaks of Miami and Atlanta, and once uh, the Heat destroyed the Hawks, yeah, I definitely, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not proud to say it, Steve, but I watched a lot of that Houston Gamblers mission. Panthers game. Okay. Well, that's good. Apparently, you got to watch Alex McGough and Darnell Holland shine in the uh, first week. Not to mention Luis Perez, Osiris Mitchell for the Gamblers. Alex McGough, a former Conference USA quarterback as well, if I'm not mistaken, Florida International. Yeah, there you go. So, it's it's very interesting as as you look at this league. By the way, 
I can't find stats yet on the uh, USFL website. No, I have no, there are no stats. No stats. Found uh, found some rosters, Steve. Uh, no UTEP players on any of the USFL rosters. However, there are some Aggie players across the USFL from what I've seen so far. Really? Including running back, former Aggie running back Larry Rose III. Oh, he's on a roster? That's right. Yes, he is. Oh, that's very cool. But no minors are on no this roster. No minor, which I'm like, come on, man. I mean, that's a, a great opportunity for some of these minors who I know they live in some of these cities where they could have tried to get an opportunity right there. I'm a little surprised. By the way, how about this? The there, you know, there's two divisions. There's the North and the South. So far, the North are all 0 and 1. The South are all 1 and 0. So if Pittsburgh loses today, the entire North will be winless to start the season. Oh man! So I'm definitely rooting for Tampa Bay in this one. Let's get some craziness happening in the standings so far. Well, Tampa Bay is up seven nothing. Okay, so they're good. Only up seven nothing. Good. All right. Quarter past as we get started here in hour number two on Sports Talk. So much more to get to, but first, let's go to Charlie Wan. He's got a traffic update for us. On Sports Talk as we continue. I've got some really good news. We have a presenting sponsor for our live broadcast next Thursday and Friday from the NFL Draft in Las Vegas. That's right. The Window Depot. That is phenomenal. And uh, the Window Depot will be our presenting sponsor as uh, Sports Talk goes live from the NFL Draft. So thank you to the Window Depot and everybody that's involved. I'm excited about that. They are our uh, presenting sponsor. We also have the folks at 915 Tours, Clean Water of El Paso, Expert HVC and Refrigeration, Longhorn Distributing, Palo Verde Homes, Taco Avocat, and AIC Fit Foods as our supporting sponsors as well. Hey, it takes a team to send us to Vegas, folks. It does. Don't uh, don't uh, think that it would be anything otherwise. No, it's going to be the case. Uh, next Thursday and Friday, we're gonna be, we'll be out there from Caesars broadcasting the show live. Lots of guests, lots of fun. The Foss is going to be there, and uh, I'm just excited about uh, taking Adrian on the road because this is uh, the first time he's ever done a show like this. Out of town, sports talk on location. That's really cool. I can't wait for this, Steve. I'm so pumped. I can't. When you said a week from Thursday, I was like, "Wait, oh wow. my god!" It's it's literally here. And in addition to being our presenting sponsor of the NFL draft coverage, the Window Depot will also bring every day the best available player on the board so we could nice. feature some of those best players i guess one of those right off the bat aiden hutchinson from michigan the projected top overall pick to the jacksonville jaguars at least for right now he's my best available prospect well the hard part is is there's no lock at number one right now there's a lot of debate about who's going to be the number one pick in the draft yeah, I'm, I'm curious if the Jaguars deviate and go away from Aiden Hutchinson and if they look elsewhere, like Evan Neal out of Alabama as the offensive tackle, or if they even look at Kyle Hamilton, the safety out of Notre Dame. There's a lot of really good names out there. You you could throw Sauce Gardner into the mix from Cincinnati, the, the standout cornerback who might be the best, other than Derek Stingley, who sat out the year from LSU. A lot of great names out there, especially on the defensive side. Oh, you're right about that, and once again, and even though it seems like Aiden Hutchinson makes the most sense, you do wonder, I mean, uh, if you're Jacksonville and, and you've got a ton of needs 
Could you actually see them going with Sauce as the first pick? I don't know. And by the way, what was the last time a corner went one overall? Great question. I don't remember the the last time a corner's gone one one overall, and that's why I still stick with Aiden Hutchinson. The way that we have, like as the NFL collective and their fans and media members, the way we have all evaluated and overvalued uh, edge rushers in the past couple years, you could see why teams want to go up and try to get one like that at number one. Look at Miles Garrett and how much of a difference maker he is with the Cleveland Browns, and that's a former number one overall draft pick that you're looking at right now. Right there, and same with guys like Nick Bosa from uh, the 49ers, a, a top pick out there as well. It just seems like the NFL leans to try to get the best available edge rusher if you're uh, selecting in the top three. If the Jets can get Thibodeau, I'll be happy. That's who I want to see them at four with. So that's what I'm hoping they get. They need, they need, they you need, like it, they Kayvon. need. It. I do. I like Kayvon Thibodeau. I like a guy that can disrupt things. I like the potential. Um, I, I don't believe that. Um, you know, he's going to struggle as a pass rusher in the NFL. I think he's a guy that would be terrific for them if they get a chance. You know, it's interesting because Kayvon Thibodeau was the consensus number one pick going into about, uh, yeah, I don't know, I guess like the last stretch of the college football season. And for some reason, he's dropped a little, you know, dropped off a little bit. But if you get him, you know, just middle of the first round, uh, the top 10 picks, I should say, or even like late in the top 10 picks, like nine or 10, that's a that's an absolute steal right there. He's another really good uh, edge rusher that you could look at. I like the guy from Florida State as well off the edge. But, yeah, if we're talking about the best available edge rushers, it's Aiden Hutchinson out of Michigan. It's Kayvon Thibodeau of Oregon. Cowboys don't draft till 24. And it's anybody's guess what they're going to do when we get to 24. And there's a lot of picks before that. Um, I'm also really interested to see who will be the first quarterback off the board and when will they be taken. This is the first year now you could say Malik Willis is going to get the uh, honor and he could easily be a top five pick when it's all said and done. But I don't think there's going to be a run on quarterbacks in this draft in the top 10 or 15 picks like we've seen in past years. No, I don't. The demand. I think a lot of teams can like these quarterbacks, whether it's Malik Willis of Liberty, Kenny Pickett of Pitt, or you know Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati. I think a lot of teams like these quarterbacks. I don't know if they love them. And I think you have to be absolutely in love with a quarterback in order to take them within the top five or you know the top 10 in, in that regard. But there are some desperate teams out there, yeah. Steve, like Carolina, who was rumored this weekend to be trading for Baker Mayfield. Now those rumors have quickly cooled off, and uh, we might be looking at a draft selection for the Panthers at number six or, you know, wherever they are here in the top ten. Maybe they take Malik Willis. Maybe they do. Could the Giants scrap Daniel Jones in the project and they go for Malik Willis if he's available at seven? Yeah, I think that would have to take uh, the Giants taking a long look at themselves in the mirror and saying, yes, we were wrong. But they have to admit that they were wrong. They were wrong with that selection with Daniel Jones and roll the dice with somebody else. Or do you give it one more year with Daniel Jones and you do you look to the 2023 draft class uh, headlined by guys like Spencer Rattler from South Carolina or, you know, the, the uh, the guy C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. Do you wait for a better quarterback class next year if you're a team like the Giants and roll it one more year with it, with Daniel Jones? Well, if Jones doesn't pan out, they'll be picking high again next year in the draft. They got a lot of top picks, that's for sure. Giants are loaded there. They have a lot of problems, too. They do. They absolutely do. So we've got a lot of fun lined up for you over the next uh, week and a half or so. Excited about taking the show on the road. Never been to an NFL event 
to broadcast live. Closest I ever got was Valley Ranch, where I went to a broadcast a couple of times from uh, Dallas Cowboys camp, about two or three different occasions. But this will be a first, broadcasting live from the draft in Caesars in the NFL media room before things get going. It's going to be a lot of fun. Of course, the Foss will be there, um, and uh, we'll have all sorts of uh, guests lined up, and, and that should be a great show. Yeah, I can't wait. And, uh, you know, my, my parents, whether it's my parents, whether it's people around the station, everybody just keeps asking, this is your first trip to Vegas? Like all this kind of stuff? Yeah, it is. I can't wait for it. And the and, uh, business trip as usual. I can't wait. How do your parents not know that you haven't been to Vegas? Well, no, they do know that I haven't been to Vegas, but they're like making a big deal out of oh. it. You know, oh, you're going to love it. You got to try this. You got to do that. You know, that kind of stuff. It's difficult because we leave at 6 a.m. Thursday and we get back uh, Wednesday at lunchtime. So really, it's two days, two full days. And, you know, I mean, would you love to see a show? Sure. Would you love to walk the strip? Sure. Would you love to hit a buffet? Absolutely. Um, Based on what we're going to be doing, um, I promise your parents I will try to get as much in as we can. How's that? Well, no, I, I'm I'm just here's how I feel about this. I've loved the draft ever since a kid. I don't want to miss anything that we're allowed to go to. Like if we can go to whatever, I want to try to get uh, to as many events out there uh, to try to be there and active for the NFL draft. So the trip in itself is my you know journey to Vegas. Like going to just watch the draft is what I really want to do. We've never done the draft before. That's a, that'll be a new one. Yeah, so. that's that's so cool. I love it. Yeah, I'm telling you. So anyway, super excited. That's a week from Thursday, folks. Thursday and Friday. That's right. Two days broadcasting the show live um, from their media room out there on the Strip at Caesars. So that'll be uh, that'll be a good time. Believe it or not, a little piece of history for you. My first ever Vegas broadcast in 1998 was in Caesars. Wow, okay, okay. Full circle right here. That's where I started. Broadcasted live from the De La Hoya Chavez rematch man. in Vegas. Oh, man, what a fight right there. Yeah, it was, uh, well, for De La Hoya, yeah. For, uh, for you know, um, Chavez fans, uh, it was a tough one. Although, you know, he's still, he got beat up pretty good in that fight. But that was my first ever broadcast. And they put us... Because there wasn't really any radio broadcasting at that time in like a closet space in Vegas. Now, later on, once more and more radio stations started coming to these and broadcasting from Radio Row, they created a Radio Row and we were there with every other big radio station around the country. But that first one was uh, a little, uh, little different back then. And things have definitely evolved. So I've got a feeling we will be in the main NFL area this time around before the draft. Oh, and I can guarantee one thing. It, we'll get some great guests because of the Foss. He's going to be yes. uh, wheeling and dealing and doing his thing out there. You know he will be bringing – well, that's – listen, that is the that, – that's his that's his goal, right? The, I mean, Foss has a reputation to uphold, especially now that we're going to be there. And as much as I'd love to give everybody two and a half hours of Foss, no, we need uh, – we, we do need some guests uh, to join us as well. Yeah, he's, he'll do a great job of that. And then he'll, he'll, ha- he'll sneak in a photo here and there, Steve. So we'll be well-documented by Foss and then well-supported by guests that Foss brings on. That'll be good. Just make sure your phone is ready to go because every time he tries to take selfies, they're always blurry. They come out like that Dak Prescott photo was awful. So maybe we can uh, try to get some good ones this time around, okay? You know what? I have no interest in taking photos with like players and stuff. He could take the, fo- he could take the photo with them. I'll take the picture. Will you take a photo 
with Roger Goodell if he's available? How could I say no? Yeah, he's the commish. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think it'd be. Uh, sub- I wouldn't do anything like Kyrie did to the Celtics fans yesterday to oh Roger my Goodell. God. Uh, hopefully but I, not. I'd be really nice to I, him. I'd like to be. I'd like uh, the station to be credentialed for future events, not make this a one and done. All right. I'll slip him a sticker of 600 ESPN. I'll pass it so he has one. Yeah, we'll bring some of those too. That's right. All right, good stuff. That's again coming up next Thursday and Friday, folks. In the meantime, it's the bottom of the hour, middle of the show. Nine one five. 505-6009. That's 915-505-600. And the number nine. No Chihuahuas tonight. They're back tomorrow from Vegas, where we'll be. But right now, let's go to Adrian in this Sports Center update. Graham. Uh, meanwhile, uh, there's a lot to, that we've discussed so far, not just the uh, NFL draft talk, but also NBA playoffs. We've talked a little UTEP and the portal. We had Kamani Young on the show earlier as well. Baseball. Uh, you saw what happened over the weekend to Mike Trout. Got hit in the fingers by a pitch. Luckily, nothing is broken, but still, scary moment there uh, for all baseball fans because um, he, he never got hurt like the first eight or nine years of his career, and now it seems like Mike Trout's having a hard time staying healthy. Yeah, and, and it's so it's such bad timing. Talk about the worst timing right here for the Angels when they've got Shohei Otani. They want to use as much as they can from him, who got hit hard over the week, weekend, Steve. Uh, and now you have these this news with Mike Trout. Like You just want to see a full year healthy for Mike Trout, and it just hasn't been the case over these past few seasons. I mean, over the uh, course of his career, yeah, he's, he's a very durable player, but now you just hope that he could stay on the field moving forward after this injury. You sure do. By the way, we got a couple of 7-2 and two teams in the Dodgers and the Giants. They're off to a flying start. So are the Mets at 7-3. and three. Uh, By the way, Dodgers have won six in a row. Giants have won five in a row after the Rockies' great 4-1 and one start. They've come back down to earth. Why do I feel like Dodgers, Giants all over again is what we're going to be seeing in the NL West? Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. And uh, tonight, Kershaw's pitching for the Dodgers. He looks sharp, in, of course, in his first one. Yeah, and, and that was the whole talk last week. Why'd you pull him? This uh, this time around, uh, Dodgers taking on a, a pretty, you know, a formidable opponent tonight. I, I'm excited about what, what we can see from them. Are you surprised, Steve, to see Houston struggle out of the gate? And are you uh, interested in that race in the AL West? Because yeah. I feel like the NL has been pretty chalk so far. AL's been all over the place. First off, the Dodgers are taking on the defending World Series champs. Now, I get it. They're 5-6. and six. They've struggled, like you mentioned. But the Braves are still the Braves. Dodgers-Braves is a big deal. Freddie and Freeman. That's right. That is also the reason why. Okay? So, yes, you're getting – well, Freddie Freeman's not going back to Atlanta, though. He's, he's now he's in Los Angeles against his former team. And uh, now we'll see how much, you know, the Braves, I think the biggest problem is, and it's weird, not just Freeman. You've got Kenley Jansen going back to L.A. Great connection right there with the Braves and going to to L.A. Now, my biggest question to you is, with all the news that came out with Freddie Freeman and how he wasn't the best teammate, let's just put it politely right there with the Braves, uh, I wonder, you know, I know he's not going to Atlanta, but it might be a little bitter uh, on on the Atlanta side of things when they get a chance to see Freddie Freeman. I'm interested to see what happens. You know, I don't know if there's any bad blood, if we'll see any guys getting beamed or anything like that. Too hard to say right now, Adrian. Too tough, but... It definitely makes for a very interesting storyline. That's what we need. We like we like good drama. We like good subplots in baseball. 
And I feel like we'll have one right now with the Braves-Dodgers series starting tonight in, at Dodger Stadium. Yeah, this should be a, a really excellent series. Uh, I'm, I've been lo- I've been watching some Padres baseball as well uh, to start off. You know, inconsistent, I would say, um, just to start things off with the Padres. Uh, one day it seems like their starting pitcher gets it done, and then the next day they're all over the place and starting pitching. So I, I don't know. I feel like the National League so far has been chalk, kind of what I expected uh, minus the Braves. I, w- I don't want to say struggling, but not getting off to a really hot start. It, it just seems like the American League is all over the place. Well, look, the Padres get the Reds this week, and the Reds are struggling mightily. They're 2-6, and 2-8 uh, to start the year. Uh, so, And you got Sean Manet on the mound, who's been terrific in his first two starts. So maybe the Pods can, uh, can capitalize on uh, the Reds this week while the Giants go to New York to take on the Mets. And that game was supposed to happen today, but rain has pushed it to a, uh, a doubleheader tomorrow afternoon. So we'll get Giants-Mets tomorrow twice. Yeah, and going real quick back to the Padres, interesting that Eric Hosmer has been kind of the story early yep. on. He's been real hot, and this is fresh off trade rumors. It wasn't like trade rumors started in February and, and trickled into March. No, trade rumors are always happening and always swirling around Eric Hosmer, and he's starting off pretty sharp for the Padres. Well, listen, you uh, talked about the Astros earlier in the AL West. The fact that the Mariners took two of three and – not only that, I mean, they beat the Astros seven to two and eleven to one, a couple of poundings uh, against your division rivals, and then the Angels uh, early in the year. Uh, the Astros took three of four against them. So yeah, I'm interested to see Angels six and four, Houston five and four, Oakland five and five, Seattle's five and five, and then Texas rounds out the basement at two and seven. So. No standouts in the AL West, but I could definitely see this being a slugfest between, um, really, Houston, the Angels, and then don't snooze on Oakland and Seattle, especially if nobody runs away with it. I could totally see a four-team race this year. Yeah, when you start to look at that Seattle roster specifically and just how everybody kind of shapes up and and everybody has their position, they've got some young, like, sharp talent. Like, I really like uh, that rookie. I think it's Matt Brash. Yeah, Matt Brash. Yeah, he's really stellar, and I I liked him to start. Of course, Ty France, uh, Chihuahuas fans remember him. Uh, but it, it's it's guys like J.P. Crawford, and it, it, you know they, they have started off so uh, so impressed. I guess they've impressed me to start so far, and uh, I'm curious to see if the Mariners can keep it up and try to put themselves in this race for the AL West. I will say this: I'm disappointed in the Texas Rangers. I, I really am. I mean, two and seven with what they invested this off season. Uh, I'm surprised. I mean, that's that's the first and foremost thing. I mean, now, if you look at their pitching rotation, it's a disaster. All right? Yeah, you've got John Gray, but other than John Gray, you've got guys like Dane Dunning, Martin Perez, and Taylor Hearn. That is scary because I think they thought they were going to spend all their money on batting, and that was going to win. You know, you get Marcus Semien on board. You bring in Corey Seager, and you make the splash signings like that. You trade for Mitch Garver. You figured you had enough offense where you could outscore everybody. Well, you can't just build it with offense. you got to have some pitchers too. And unfortunately, the Rangers have a AAA pitching staff 
after all their great free agent acquisitions uh, this offseason. Yeah, I was very disappointed with them over the weekend in this series against the Angels because they had that first game where they looked so dominant. They, they killed them. It was like 10-5. to 5, yep. They killed them. And then after that, they had no chance in this series. They lost a close one. I think it was on Friday. And then the rest of it, it, it wasn't even close. The Angels just ran away with it. And that just shows you the, the talent separation right now, at least how it stands between the Angels and the, the Rangers and how far ahead the Angels are and, and how far behind the Rangers still are at this point. Locally, Chihuahuas 6-6 six and six after two series. However, things are kind of weird with El Paso. They've done stuff I've never seen. I've never seen El Paso split a pair of series by winning the first three and losing the next three. They did it on the road. They did it at home. Exactly the same way. Win three, lose three. I've never seen that before. I've seen them split series, but I've never seen them take the first half and then drop the second half, and it's happened now twice. I I doubt it happens against Vegas, but it's a crazy pattern, Adrian, just because it's so rare to see something like that happen not just once, but twice to start the year. Yeah, I feel like the Chihuahuas have really struggled when it comes to consistency and just, you know, stringing along these series. I don't know if they get excited out of the gate after winning some of these, you know, first two series so far. I know it's a short sample size, but yeah, I'm curious as this week comes along with against Las Vegas back at home next week, how can they get some consistency and how can they, you know, find a way to win a series here? Great question. Uh, the only answer I know is that when we come back, Adrian's movie review returns right here. 600 ESPN El Paso. All right, we've got a lot to catch up on here with Adrian's movie reviews. 49 passed on a Monday edition of Sports Talk. We left off a few weeks back. Now we've got a lot of work to do. We're going to make Adrian watch a movie every night, as you all know. This started uh, a couple months back when we realized that Adrian hadn't seen pretty much anything from the 80s. So we put a list together, 70-plus movies. Adrian's knocking them out one by one. Occasionally he might find a, a 90s movie that he'll throw in between, but... Uh, what do you have for our listeners here today to talk about? Yeah, I've got a two early two thousands movie. I've got an uh, and a pair of nineties movies just to touch on. Okay, um, I'm gonna make this a little bit longer than usual, Steve. Well, you haven't been on in a while with this, so that's good. You have okay, time. Okay, good, good. All right. Ali was the first one I watched. This was uh, in response to everything that happened at the Academy Awards. We all know what happened with Will Smith and, of course, Chris Rock. Uh, I watched Ali for the first time. He was Cash. He played uh, Will Smith. Played Cassius Clay, aka Muhammad Ali. Uh, Jamie Fox, uh, exceptional. I loved how he. Uh, I loved how he acted in this movie. Malcolm X, and uh, you know, it, it just detailed everything. It was. It was one of those movies. Well, let me let me preface this by saying it was rated 68% by Rotten Tomato. It was 6.7 by IMDb, which I was surprised by. I thought it was a solid movie right there, uh, detailing the biography and and you know history of Muhammad Ali. Best scene was the opening scene. I thought uh, where it's kind of it's Cassius Clay running. He's working out. He's training. It's a montage video. It's a mashup video. And in the background, they're kind of setting the stage for everything. They're showing the fights. They're showing Showing the controversy, they're talking about Malcolm X. They're doing everything right there. And yes, they the stage. are. Uh, my, I liked his friendship with Malcolm X. I really, uh, really liked that one right there. I will say, and I had to look this one up because I forgot the name. Uh, my favorite uh, Muhammad Ali form of media is What's My Name on HBO. Uh, I haven't seen too many documentaries on Muhammad Ali, so I'll defer to you, Steve. What's the best one out there for Muhammad Ali movies? Uh, 
the um, what's it called? Rumble in the Jungle. They did a great documentary on I that. I heard that's like the best documentary ever. Like as far as sports documentaries, it was amazing. It was and 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 that came out when that fight came out. Like it's not like it came out years later. That's just one of the best of all time. I heard that one. They just kind of go behind the scenes and get everything. Like that's like kind of sets the stage of how sports documentaries should be. And uh, I got to watch Rumble, the Rumble in the Jungle. I have it on DVD. Um, the only problem is you don't own a DVD player. <laughs> so yeah, that was. I remember I have a lot of I had a lot of DVDs that I bought years ago. It's called um, now. I believe. Let me see if I have the name of the uh, doc that Muhammad was in for this one. Um, because it really was a classic. Is it When We Were Kings? It might be, but it's funny because that came out in 96. I thought it came out earlier, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe uh, When We Were Kings didn't come out until until later. It's possible. So When We Were Kings is on Showtime, so if that's the case, I can watch that one for sure. Uh, and yeah. I, I'm i not sure. I'm not sure which one the documentary is, but if that's the one, uh, so be it. Out of Ali, from watching Ali, I will give this one. Uh, I will give this one eight out of ten bananas. I like this more than Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb. I was trying to get some context as to why this wasn't critically acclaimed or received that well when it came out, but I, I get it. I, I think that if you're talking about the story of Muhammad Ali, maybe just watch the documentary version, and that gives you everything you might need. When We Were Kings did come out in '96. Okay, it came out in '96. It was about the Rumble in the Jungle from '74 uh, in Zaire. Yeah, that's the one you got to watch. It's an awesome documentary. To be honest with you, that to me is the documentary of all documentaries from that particular uh, that time period. Yeah, I heard it's that one and it's the last dance as far as sports documentaries that you that you have to watch. Well, um, no, I mean, listen, I thought the last dance was amazing. I love Hoop Dreams. I think that's a great documentary also that that really if you've never watched it, you need to add that to the list too because it's such I'm a good it. one. Um, but, but you've seen the last dance already. You know yeah, what that's like. Most definitely. Yeah. And, and, and HBO had a ton of great documentaries over the course of the last 30 years. Yeah. I, I that other one that I had watched, the uh, what's my name was very good, uh, on Muhammad Ali, a two parter right there. Uh, the other two I want to profile real quick, Steve, because I watched these in passing. Uh, I had already watched these movies, but I, I just want to mention them. The big Lebowski. Oh my God. I watched this for the first time in about eight or nine years and i saw it at a movie party at alamo draft house it was so much fun they gave us props steve they gave us a club to beat the you know what out yep. of somebody yep and then they gave us a bowling pin and they gave us these little lights it was so cool like you get to keep all that yeah you get to keep oh, all that's that super cool i love that uh the big lebowski is a golden banana award-winning kind of movie oh and it's the greatest it, it, jeff the dude lebowski is amazing now i didn't know this i didn't know that jeff bridges wore uh, all that stuff that he wore like to the actual movie was like most of the stuff that was actually in his closet like he owned most of those those clothes that he war he really is the dude yeah he really is but uh love the big lebowski and then caught a special edition a 30-year special edition of white man can't jump and a special on sports center afterward so how about that how was that did very you good. Uh, have you ever seen white man can't jump before yes yeah okay. so very very good love that one as well all right because you, you you got a lot you watch a lot of movies i like that yeah but i gotta get back on the grind it's been a little while and uh yeah i'll, I'll knock out all the movies you have one for us tomorrow yes i will i'll get one for us tomorrow okay there I'll you watch go them tonight Adrian's movie reviews as we do here on Sports Talk. Come back with our three next 600 ESPN El Paso. All right, here we go. A start of our three on Sports Talk. He's Adrian Broadus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. 
915-505-6009. Get you through to the program. That's 505-6009. As far as topics go, where do you want to start? I mean, really, we've, we've covered it all today. We've touched on uh, UTEP hoops. We've talked about uh, where the Miners are right now as far as their roster. Great job by Adrian on the website. If you haven't seen that, it's a good primer right now, especially knowing that uh, Mario McKinney Jr. is now a minor. That's real interesting. Uh, Adrian also talked about recruiting. We discussed that in depth uh, in our first hour. We also talked a little NBA playoffs. We've talked baseball. We've talked um, – we had uh, Kamani Young join us in our first hour of the show also. That was a lot of fun. We talked USFL. I mean, you name it. We've hit it so far. And uh, here we are in our 6 o'clock hour. And essentially, hey, open for business. Anything you want to talk about with us, let's get it going right now. 505-6009. That's 505-6009. We also talked NFL Draft. Talked on the fact that we're going to be going to Vegas uh, a week from Thursday. Two days broadcasting live from Caesars prior to the draft. That's going to be uh, a big one for us as well. So a lot of topics to cover. A lot of things we can discuss with you here on the program today. Uh, meanwhile, you know, I was thinking about this too, Adrian, because now that spring ball is over, college football is going to be awfully quiet for the next probably three and a half months, not until the start of uh, August will things start heating up again. Yeah, we're not going to hear too much from the UTEP football program in the next uh, a few m- months. I think you might hear more uh, about uh, summer workouts in June and July. Maybe there's a there's a late guy who signs who's like a walk-on or commit that people get excited about. That's usually the only kind of news that we talk about right now. Uh, instead, we're talking about things like w- when it comes to UTEP football, we're talking about preseason rankings that are starting to come out. We're talking about you know Conference USA lists that start coming out and stuff like that. And then once July hits that's really when uh, UTEP football really kicks into gear and you're talking about summer camp going into fall camp were you surprised that UTEP was rated so low in the uh, current uh, CUSA rankings which uh, came out late last week I'm not too surprised just because UTEP's never been uh, a, a team that's highly regarded by national prognosticators. And I know this uh, football power index by ESPN, which grades all of Conference USA, like you mentioned, and all the teams across uh, the, the college football landscape, looks at things like strength of schedule, who you've beaten in the past, your coaching accuracy, all those things. They factor in all this stuff and they put it in a computer and asks the computer to simulate a season. Well, I'm surprised that, uh, that you UTEP is underneath teams like Charlotte, like yeah. North Texas, and La Tech. That's where my surprise came when it came to these rankings. I'm with you on that. Like, I mean, just based on their season last year, the way their schedule shapes up, I almost feel like ESPN just completely threw out the 2021 football season, and they're figuring, ah, eh, UTEP's going to go back to being UTEP. Because think about this. By the way, how bad is CUSA? The best team in the league is 63rd. Okay, and then they go 63, 65, 75. So the top three teams are all between 63 and 75. Then you've got um, two in the 80s in Middle Tennessee and Florida Atlantic, 84 and 87. And then you have really the, the bottom, you know, the second half of the league. La Tech, 91. North Texas, 93. Charlotte, 100. UTEP, 119. Rice, 121. Florida International, 123. Like, UTEP is getting zero, zero respect right now in this. 
They are, and and UTEP's also bringing back a lot of starters on both sides of the ball. So like ESPN could have done their homework and realized like, yeah, they're they're bringing a lot of people back. They don't have a great schedule. Well, let's at least put them in the middle of Conference USA, but but to be uh, near the bottom, that's where I'm scratching my head right here. Some of these teams that are ranked a little higher above them, and then like you're saying, with uh, Conference USA ranking starting in the 60s, I guess long are the days are when uh, UTEP or anybody in Conference USA maybe cracked a preseason top 25. I don't think those days are ever going to come back. I guess anytime soon, I should say, for Conference USA football. No, but I would still think that the the rankings for the league would be, well, the league stunk last year. Let's not, let's not even sugarcoat it. It was a terrible season, and UTEP still won seven. Um, they were hanging in just about every conference game that they played in. Um, you know, I'm a little surprised UTSA gets the respect to be 75 after all the mass losses they had after the year was over. Yeah, I felt like the, when you came to national recognition, the only team that was kind of flirting with that was UTSA last year because of their undefeated record and everything, but they didn't win a bowl game. They didn't close out the season strong. They lost that last game to North Texas, and uh, things started to look a little weird for UTSA. And nonetheless, uh, UTSA, they lost a lot of players over the offseason, Steve, a lot. And even in their spring game recently, they had a lot of guys out with injuries. So, yeah, 75 seems very generous for the Roadrunners. By the way, um, (laughs) UTSA finished in a 7-7 tie. That was the score in their spring game. Wow. Yeah, so not a lot of action on either side. You're probably watching the two-deep, the three-deep play. Uh, I was I was reading that they had a lot of guys injured and out of that game and, or guys just sitting out for this game specifically. But still, I mean, uh, what are we supposed to do here if you're if, if we're uh, preseason ranking lists? Are we supposed to just say that Jeff Trailer give him a pass, he's going to build a great program with UTSA, should be ranked 75? I, I don't know about that. I think that's uh, it's a quick judgment right there for Jeff Trailer who's only entering his third year. Frank Harris is still around. He's going to be quarterback in the team this season. Are you serious? He's Frank back Harris. for like a, yeah. a, a sixth, seventh year. That's crazy. I know. I feel like Frank Harris is 30, and he's still playing. Yeah, it's like Walter Don coming back for another year. That's what really what it reminds me of with UTSA. No, I'm with you on that one. I'm with you. So, yeah, check this out. Frank Harris's redshirt season was 2017. Oh my, what, how is that even possible? Just uh, medical redshirt, COVID, whatever it is, just not being on the field. Let's let's just extend this redshirt moving forward. He must really like uh, San Antonio a lot. I would just be tired of being in school at that for that long. Like, how many master's degrees can you have? So, if you were looking at UTEP objectively, right? Objectively, after last season of this year, I would think UTEP would probably be in that 90 area where La Tech is. That's, at least for me, the objective approach. But historically, I understand why they put them 119 on the list. I think even objectively, just knowing how that defense is, there's an argument there. They could be in the 80s. I mean, they, yep. they bring all their, their defense back from last year. I, I get it. You lose a lot from your secondary, but you have guys who are subbing in who have at least played a lot of snaps, so you don't have a major drop-off in your secondary. And if you get Breon Hayward solidified back as your linebacker, uh, I think that just uh, rounds out for that defense to be one of, if not the best uh, defense in Conference USA. And I mean that objectively, really, just looking at the production that they left on the field 
last year. But nobody is giving them any kind of respect right now. It just goes to show you that people are probably thinking last year was just a, a, a little blip for UTEP and that was it. And they also remember, they also look at a team that was 6-1 and one to start the year and finished 7-5. and five. Yeah, I'm with you on that one right there. Uh, with UTEP football, too, I think this is more of a historical uh, prognostication right here by the ESPN FPI. If they're looking at the uh, the seasons in between 2015 all the way up till 2020 uh, exactly, you might say, yeah, this UTEP team is not going to be that great. And you might just side with history in that regard. But if you're looking at this team right now and what it, what it makes out to be, no, no reason this team should be uh, ranked less than 80 or 90 no I agree with you on that and and also when you look at the way the conference schedule um, shapes up for 2022 and the 2022 season you got to understand one thing okay they do play North Texas at home to start the year they're 93rd and um, then they play starting uh, at Charlotte that's 100 at La Tech 91 home against Florida Atlantic that's 87, Middle Tennessee, 84, at Rice, 121, home against FIU, 123, at UTSA, 75. That's where it shapes up. And, uh, and one of the things to really keep in mind there, UAB, Western Kentucky, not on the list. Those are the two top-ranked teams in, in the ESPN FBI, FPI, according to this poll that we're reading right now, and UTEP avoids both of them right there. That's that's awesome. It's good news for them. It really is. So, And, and like we've talked about, there's a lot of winnable conference games. There really is. A, it just depends on the maturation and continued growth of this team, especially on the offensive side. Look, you got to replace Jacob Cowing. That's key. Can Gavin Hardison take the next step? That's going to be key. And then on the defensive side, finding new defensive backs to help anchor that team's uh, incredible uh, front four. That, that's going to wreak havoc on everybody. And, and a very good linebacking core. I mean, there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of things to like about this UTEP football team here in 2022 if things go the way they should. Yeah, and I know that Dana Dimmel always talks about his two deep and his three deep, but that hasn't really been challenged ever, you know, during the Dana Dimmel era. They haven't had to go too deep into their, uh, you know, into their roster if injuries pile up or things like that happen. And injuries are, are always a given in football. This is such a physical sport. So you have to think that some of these guys might go out with injuries. You just also want to see how well is this two deep going to produce uh, come the fall time. They, they love to switch their ones and twos all the all the time so that's another big thing to watch as the summer rolls along how how deep is this team really so we talked about utep uh being the surprise uh, ranked all the way at 119 okay if you look at this list top to bottom what is the other surprise that you came out looking at uh, all uh, you know all uh, remaining schools in conference usa and where they're ranked I was, th- you know, here's a, a, I don't know if this is a hot take or what, but I was looking at this and thinking, UTEP has a chance to be a top three team in football. They really do. There's only 11 teams now in Conference USA. It's not like it's it's a lot of great teams. There's a case that UAB, Western Kentucky, UTSA, Middle Tennessee, and UTEP could all be in the mix for a uh, conference title when it's all said and done. It's crazy to think, but that was one of the takeaways I had. That's a wild hot take. 
right there. It really is. Do you think that UTSA is going to take a massive plunge this year knowing they had all their losses, or do you think uh, they'll be able to uh, reload as quicker than some expect? They'll reload. They're going to be fine. They're going to. I think they could still be a winning team. I think they could still make a bowl, uh, a bowl game as well just based on some of the recruits that we've seen them get. Uh, but I, I'm not saying it's going to be a, a massive step down. I just don't think that we should pencil them in as the solidified conference champions. I, I still think you got to start with UAB and Western Kentucky when you're talking about that. You want to discuss with us uh, 915-505-6009. That's the number 505-600 and the number 9 as we continue here on Sports Talk. Before we go to break, though, I want to tell you a little story about uh, our friend Nada. Nada was moving to another city here in the state of Texas, so she needed to sell her home in northeast El Paso. Now, she contacted Brian Birds and his team, uh, powered by EXP Realty. Now, let me tell you what happened, okay? Within a week of signing with Brian and his team, an offer was received. The home was under contract for $5,000 over the list price. Nada was very happy with uh, the fact that her home sold so quickly and for top dollar and that the whole process was smooth. That's what it's all about, being happy. And remember, some of you might be a little worried about leaving money on the table if you sell your home. Well, don't worry with Brian and the team, powered by EXP Realty, for a lot of reasons, but I love the guarantee. Brian guarantees to sell your home for a price and deadline you both agree to, or he'll buy it himself, which gives you the chance to make an offer on another home without fear of ending up with two mortgages, because you know when and for how much your current home will sell. So call the official real estate agent of UTEP and El Paso Locomotive FC and the Rhinos, the only agent I would call if I needed to sell my home, Brian Birds. Ninety-nine years ago, if we went in a time machine, ninety-nine years ago today, we'd have to go to the Bronx because that's when Yankee Stadium opened for the first time ever, and the Babe hit one out. Wow, ninety-nine year anniversary. Yes. Wow, that's so cool. Are they doing anything today or anything like that on <gasps> so even on social media? Social media, like I've seen it, but I don't believe. Um, now, I hope to God the baseball gods put the Yankees at home next uh, April 18th, because even though it's not the original stadium, you should still be able to celebrate the 100-year anniversary of Yankee Stadium, right? Yeah, most definitely. I know uh, the Mets game got postponed today. No Yankees today. But, uh, yeah, they have to do some good scheduling with that for the 100th-year anniversary. So here's my question to you and everybody else listening here in our final hour. Um, What is your favorite ballpark that you have visited over the years in baseball. Number one on the list, and, and why? That's what I'd like to know today at 505-6009 here on Sports Talk. That's 505-6009. Get you through. So for everybody who's traveled and anywhere you've gone, favorite ballpark and why? If you can't get into the show, you can tweet us at 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter, at 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter. So Adrian, I'll, I'll start with you. Favorite ballpark you visited and why? Okay, let me reel off the one. So I've seen uh, 
I've seen a game out at Globe Life Park, not Globe Life Field, not not the newer one. So I've seen the older one. That one was tough just because it was so hot. Uh, Dodger Stadium, been there. Uh, been also I have also been to um, Petco, and I would say that Petco is my favorite. Um, I love the design of that stadium. <laughs> I love the weather, of course, of San Diego. Sure. And then um, I love the fact that you could sit out in the lawn or go in those seats, like the seats. But the lawn is really nice. I've done both where uh, lawn. Um, you you can actually like sit out there. You can watch the games. It is a tough view out there, but it's still really nice. And if you're actually like in a seated area, I think uh, you, there's you, you can't go wrong in Petco. You can see the action from anywhere. So Petco is your pick, and yes. just because of the view and the vantage points and all that, and also the weather. Okay, <laughs> I would say the weather was a big factor there. All right, here we go. Been to Camden Yards, been to Fenway, been to Old Yankee Stadium, been to New Yankee Stadium. Been to whatever, oh, uh, the uh, ballpark before in Atlanta, the second one. Not Fulton County, not the new one, the middle one. Turner Field, was it that? Been to Shea, been to City Field, been to Wrigley, been to County Stadium in Milwaukee, okay? Been to the Astrodome, been to Minute Maid Park, been to the Angels Ballpark, the big, uh, the Halo, whatever they call that thing. Um, been to... Phoenix a million times to watch the games there. It used to be Bank One Ballpark when we first started to go. Um, been to Dodger Stadium, been to Petco, been to Candlestick, and uh, been to the new park in San Francisco. So I've got a lot of ballparks to choose from. Anything in Florida? No. So no Tropicana or anything like that? Okay. Never done Tropicana. I, I missed the whole AL Central. It's the only division in baseball that I have not seen a game. Haven't been to Minnesota, Kansas City, Detroit, Cleveland, or Chicago. I've been to Wrigley, just never been to um, uh, whatever it's called, Progressive yeah, now? Guaranteed or, rate. Guaranteed yeah. rate, yeah. Guaranteed rate field. Never done that one. Okay. Old Comiskey, or Comiskey, yeah. Never done that. Okay, but you've New gotten Comiskey. the big ones, Steve. Like Fenway, you've done Wrigley. Like, you've done the big ones right there. So I have. I, I have. I feel like you bring a lot of perspective here. Went to Boston in 82, so that's hard to judge because I was a kid, okay? Um, I did Baltimore right after a Camden Yards open. It was amazing. I loved Camden Yards. Loved Camden Yards. Um Bush? Bush Stadium? Never done St. Louis. Okay. Never done St. Louis. Uh, drove by Pittsburgh. I mean, there's ballparks I've driven by. Drove by Philly, drove by Pittsburgh, um, and there's a few others. Drove by Seattle. In fact, went to Alaska with my wife, and I said, and she said to me, what would you rather do? Go see a Mariners game or go to the Space Needle? We only had one shot at it. I took Space Needle because I've been to a million ballparks, didn't think Safeco was going to be anything special, and figured, let's let's go have lunch on the rotating restaurant at the uh, Space Needle. So we did that instead. Okay, uh, that's, a, that's a good choice right there, Steve. I'm not knocking your choice. You, did, you, you picked a good one over T-Mobile Park. Yeah, thank you. And I can't remember. I think, yeah, I think that was, at that point it was still Safeco. I think. Yeah, probably. But all these ballparks, right? And there's been some dumps. Shea was a dump. It was. And it's, I'm a Mets fan. They did a really good job with City Field, by the way. I'm going to tell you something right now. Of all the ballparks I've been to, so tough. Okay, because Wrigley's amazing because it's a party, it's a party ballpark. 
You just you party before, you party after, and you party during the game. I heard it's like le- legit in the neighborhood. It is. It's in Wrigleyville. That's crazy. Yes, that's right. Um, I like Dodger Stadium. I like Petco a lot. I thought say I thought you know the stick was a wind was a wind tunnel. The new ballpark is is a much better facility to watch a game. I mean, as I dissect it more and more. The thing I like the most about City Field, which could be on my list, okay, it's so family friendly. It was the most family friendly ballpark I had ever been to. And because of that, I was like, man, this ballpark is amazing. New Yankee Stadium is all corporate, stuffy. You go in there, you don't, there is no ambiance, there is no history. Like, I went to old Yankee Stadium, I enjoyed that. Saw a guy urinating out of his jeans when I walked up to the ballpark for the first time in full view of everybody, mumbling to himself. Scared my brother. He wanted to get back on the train and go back to the hotel in the the city. And I said, no, we're here. We're not leaving. We are not leaving. We stayed and we watched it. I liked old Yankee Stadium. First time I ever ordered a hot dog. Apparently, this is a true story. Lou Romano told me this because he was living in New York at the time. George Steinbrenner got into a fight with the hot dog bun company that was producing buns for him. Got mad. Said, you know what? We don't need you. We'll put it on white bread. So my first ever Yankee Stadium hot dog was on a piece of of um, white bread. Gosh, you're kidding. When was this? Oh, two. Okay, okay. Oh, two, 20 years ago. So it's not really that long ago. Wonder Bread. Yeah. Wonder Bread. 20 years ago. Yes. Wow. Not that long ago. No. No, no, I Listen, Shea, okay, I'll tell you this story. Okay, it's a true story, too. Went to Shea Stadium years ago, probably 80s. Guy gets hammered, upper deck, so drunk, he starts taking his clothes off, and he was in a suit, in a suit, starts taking his clothes off, throwing them over the upper deck. Wow. <laughs> Got his jacket off, his shoes, and by the time he was getting ready to take off his shirt, the cops came and arrested him. <laughs> no way. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. Oh, yeah. That was that was Shea Stadium back in the 80s. That was fun. That was a nice experience. A little different. I like that. Guy gets hammered, does a strip show off the upper deck. Not bad. Not bad at all. But um, close second to City Field. Camden Yards. I loved Camden Yards. Camden Yards felt like I was in a time machine going back to the 50s, the way they built that ballpark. Because it was new, but I loved the warehouse. I just thought everything about it was cool. And that one, it was open uh, 1992, so it's not like... We were there in 93. Yeah, so 30 years since it's been uh, since it's been uh, Timeless, yeah. timeless. And it's also 45,000. It seats 45,000, so a Camden- lot of people... Camden Adrian was the first new ballpark that had that design incorporated. Like two years earlier or a year earlier, they built the new Comiskey. And it has like no, it just didn't have anything like that other ballpark did. It didn't, they didn't incorporate it with other buildings and statues. Remember, in San Diego, they built Petco in downtown and Gaslamp, and it incorporates other buildings that they that they put the that they put the ballpark next to. 
Yeah, that's right. Like there, there's a lot going on over there. And like, here's my here's another question for you, Steve. What are some that are like on your bucket list? Like those that you haven't gone to that oh you're like, God. I need to go to. All right, I have I have a bucket list. I want to get to my bucket. I'll do the bucket list right after uh, Sports Center here at the bottom of the hour. If you want to weigh in, you can do it. Either by calling us right now, give me your favorite ballpark of all time. 505-6009 is the number that you visited. That you visited. 505-6009 or tweet the show at 600 ESPN El Paso. We'll do this as we come back, but first, here's Adrian with SportsCenter. I'm Adrian. All right, we're asking you right now, best ballpark you've ever visited, ever been to. Okay, let's get to a couple of these. Um, Esteban. T-Mobile, it's the only one I've ever been to. I love the city of Seattle. Well, that's a good reason. I can understand that. If, you never, if it's the only one you've ever been to, that makes a lot of sense, Esteban. Appreciate the call or the tweet. Joshua Rios, Turner Field. Got to see Chipper and Andrew Jones. Go Braves. Yeah, I was there. I was at Turner Field when Tom Glavin was pitching. That's how long ago I go back. So probably around the same time as, as Joshua. Nice, okay. Glavin pitched the game I was at. Had to be, let's see, probably 03. My dad was still alive. So I think 03 was about right. I think it was probably the summer of 03 when I was there. It's almost 20 years ago. Wow, that's awesome. Paul Marmalejo. Come on, Cap. El Paso's best baseball field, the Dudley Dome. Close to Chico's Tacos. Arriba El Chico Town. Hashtag Diablo's Baseball. Paul, I loved uh, I loved Dudley Field. Love the Dudley Dome. I've said this on the show before. I'll say it again. I spent one year as a Diablo's Bat Boy. It was the year in 1990. We started in Dudley, ended at Cohen. And... I loved going out to the outfield shagging baseballs during batting practice. That was awesome. And loved even more, um, you know, just sitting there at Old Dudley Stadium getting roasted by Paul Strelzen. Every time he saw me, it was always like he would start talking about my family, telling my story, and then next thing you know, it was like you were getting like, like a celebrity roast of the Strels while you were at the game. Hilarious. That's great. Um, also, I love the fact that he threw in the Arriba El, Chu- El Chico Town, which I think he meant El Chico Town. I like the Chico Town. I'm going with Chico Town, right? I'm gonna it's go nice. El Chico Town. Yeah, it's supposed to be Chico Town, but still, it's pretty funny. Um, all right, list of ballparks I still want to go. Now, I want to go back to Fenway because it's been so many years. I'd like to see it again and, uh, and, and take, uh, take the family for that. So, just going down the list, okay? Down the list. Um, Don't really have any... I mean, Tampa or Toronto? Eh. Toronto, probably, just to see it, because it's Canada. I'd like to do that, but no interest to go to Tampa. AL East, no interest to go to Miami. Any interest in Montreal? Real quick, real quick back to Tampa? If, if Montreal was ever back in baseball, yeah. That'd Maybe. be fun. Okay, okay. That would be fun. Although I'd much rather go to a Canadians game than an Expos game. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, they're newer parks, but I wouldn't mind going to Philly and Washington just to f- complete uh, the NL East minus Miami. Um, I would love to go to Nationals Park. That would be yeah, my vote. It looks nice, doesn't it? It looks yes. really, really nice. I would love to go there. Um, 
Kauffman Stadium could be on my my number one list of all ballparks to, to visit. I, Kauffman Stadium has been around forever. It's gorgeous, has the waterfall. It is probably the coolest ballpark in all of baseball they have not been to. Um, would like to go to see a White Sox game just to just to quiet my bosses, Kevin and and uh, and, and Brad. That would be nice. Cleveland, I've always wanted to see a game in Cleveland, so I can put that on the list. Same with Detroit, although, man, I wish I would have gone to Tiger Stadium. There are certain ballparks I feel like I really feel like I missed out on. Tiger Stadium was one of those. Would love to go to a game at Target Field. Same with Cincinnati. Would like that. Been to Milwaukee. Pittsburgh looked fun. St. Louis and Bush is another one. That has to be on the list. Has to be on the list. Really, Bush and Kaufman are my two, probably number one and two. Um, Oakland, eh, not really. Don't care about the Coliseum. Seattle would be would, would be fine. Texas, new ballpark looks nice. I don't know about that. Globe Life? Yeah, it looks a little uh, weird on the outside, at least. But Inside it, looks cool. Yeah, I'm glad they made it in, indoor. I mean, those, about time. those games are brutal. That's why the reasons I like to go. Um, and then I like to go see a game of course. That'd be fun. Oh, that'd be a blast, yeah. Literally. Yeah, what I'm about sure. Truist? What about uh, uh, over in Atlanta? No, because I've already I, I went once. I already went to okay. a turn. I went to Turner Field. I'm talking about like cities I've never visited that I liked. I like ballparks I never visited. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I get you. That's it. It's an interesting list. It really is. I like I like the fact that Bush is up top. You're atop your list right there. I think that's that's something that everywhere every baseball fan should go. You know, as far as a as far as a ballpark. I agree with you, and uh, that would really be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. But, I mean, I'm looking at the list right now, and of the of the 30 teams in baseball currently, I visited one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Uh, 13 parks, and of those 13, I've been to both uh, Mets parks and both Yankees parks and both Giants parks. And San Diego. I went to, um, I went to Jack Murphy and, uh, and Petco. So it's interesting because I've seen multiple, and, and same with Houston, Astrodome and also uh, Minimate. Nice. So there's been a bunch that I've, I've been to, to multiple stadiums in the same city. So that's been pretty cool. Well, also the fact that you were in the Astrodome too before you know it, it turned to Minute Maid—that's that's exceptional to begin with. I mean, I, I love those well, old photos and videos that you saw for the from the Astrodome. Saw an Astros game there. Saw a Steelers Oilers game there. Wow, that's written. They threw in football games indoor. Nice. Well, the Astrodome—that was their home. The, oh, okay, the Houston the Oilers. Oilers played. They played in the dome. Nice. So, I didn't know that. That's cool. Oh yeah, this is that was before they built Reliant Stadium. In fact, my college roommate was a diehard Steelers fan from Houston, so that was fun going to watch a, an Oilers game and seeing him just go crazy in his, um, you know, in, in in his Steelers jersey rooting for Pittsburgh. A little Warren Moon action right there. Well, no? that's yeah, that back when Warren Moon was still playing. Nice. Yes. Okay. Cool. Yes. Right era. Right era. All right. Nice. Anyway, good job, everybody. Good job. Appreciate the tweets. Thanks for sharing with us. We'll wrap it up next. Final Countdown Sports Talk continues right here. 600 ESPN El Paso.